0: Well, uh, next week we'll be starting in 1 Corinthians, I believe, so if Nate can get back on the saddle, um, if not, I'll just continue to barrage you with all of my uh, different ideas. Uh, In the meantime, though, we are going to look at Pentecost today uh, through Ephesians 2. Today is actually Pentecost Sunday. Uh, I realize that the church calendar may be a new thing for most of you, it certainly is for me, Um, but I'm learning to benefit from it, and one of the uh, benefits is that we actually think about the different... Uh, acts of redemption that God has done for us. And one of those is Pentecost. But it's not something most of us think about, especially for kind of the frozen, chosen Presbyterians. You know, we like Bibles and uh, theology, but the Spirit maybe not is uh, our first topic of conversation. So I want to look at this from Ephesians 2 this morning. Uh, And the hope here is uh, not only to appreciate the role of the Spirit, who the Spirit is, what He does, but also... uh, What in the world we're doing here in church? What the church is for. So uh, read with me here from Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that at at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. That's kind of a derogatory term to call someone the uncircumcision. Remember that at that time uh, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments, or nullifying the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. By the way, that's a Trinitarian statement. you hear that? Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but Lord, we come to you now and ask for your blessing. Ask for your spirit to work uh, through your word. You promise that uh, you send your word out and it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. It will never come back to you void. And so we pray this morning that you would uh, soften hearts, that you would attend to us in our weakness and our frailty, that you would strengthen and restore and encourage. Lord, we pray especially that you would Uh, Give us bright hope that Christ is in us, that we have been given the Spirit. We pray that you do this uh, for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of the questions that we ask uh, as Christians, and maybe you've asked yourselves these, uh, why are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, What is the church for? What is the church supposed to be doing? What is her mission? What is my mission? What is my role what is my job as a member of the body of Christ? What am I here for? We ask a lot of these questions as Christians, but even uh, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, regardless of who you are, uh, all of us, if we're honest, are asking this question. What in the world am I here for? What am I doing? Why am I alive? Uh, one of famous philosopher asked it this way. Why is there anything at all? Why is there anything at all? You know, this is actually the uh, burning question, I think, for most of us. Uh, And we try and attempt it, uh, attempt answering it in a number of uh, kind of foolish ways, or we ignore it and it drives us to do a number of foolish things. Good example of this, uh, how many times have you uh, gone to write an email and it's like 9.30 at night and you're like, I'm just going to bust this out really quick, go to bed. I've done this a hundred times do this email, and then I see another email, and it gets me looking at, uh, you know, I'm looking at uh, cycling gear, and then all of a sudden I'm looking at articles now, and I'm reading about uh, Ukrainian economy, and two hours later, I'm liking things on Facebook from two years ago, right, uh, and it's midnight, and I feel terrible, and, uh, you know, what, what have I done? <laughs> why, why, do I, why do we do that? I just want to suggest to you that the main reason we do that is uh, because there's a terrible emptiness uh, that we don't attend to. And that emptiness results from not feasting on Christ, not beholding and cherishing the glory of Christ. So this question for me, uh, even in my own life, uh, has been a central and burning question. What am I here for? Uh, I grew up in kind of a standard, uh, broadly evangelical church, which uh, I'm so thankful for that church. Uh, but what I came away uh, kind of believing about Christianity and about Christ, and I'm not sure that this is their fault or mine, uh, what I came away believing was that Christ and Christianity were mostly focused on kind of uh, creating a kind of social gathering uh, where uh, punk kids and other people who are generally uh, in need of help can become nicer, right? Being nice. Which, to me, I just thought, this is the biggest waste of time. Being nice. Is that really all that there is? Being nice? Being nice. You know, if, if being nice is really the end goal of our lives, being pleasant to other people, uh, And if that really is what eternity has for us, being nice with God and other nice people in kind of this bland, milk- toast way, to me, that sounded much more like hell. It sounded empty and meaningless. Bland. Terrible. Where is the joy? Uh, more than that, where is uh, the meaning? What's, what's worth dying for in this life if I'm just supposed to be nice? The answer is there's nothing. If that's really all that there is to Christianity. And of course, that's not all there is. But you can hear the hunger underneath all of that. And uh, you know, I think, uh, if you're honest, you probably have the same hunger as well. Uh, that is kind of constantly boiling. But what I want to say is that uh, unless we attend to Christ as our real joy, as our real meaning, uh, we're going to end up trying to constantly patch this hole, this emptiness, with uh, things that don't work, or ignoring it and being driven to all sorts of other things. You see, uh, personally, I was fed uh, the same garbage uh, that. Uh, Our society has been hawking for at least the last hundred years, right? Uh, You know the story. We all tell ourselves. uh, You do well in school so that you can get into another school, and you can meet nice people and get a nice wife or husband, get a nice job, have nice kids, live in a nice house in a nice neighborhood with a nice car, nice benefits package, and a nice retirement. And that sounds lovely, doesn't it? But that's not the whole story obviously there's a glaring fact that's being left out. We die. We die. You will die and I will die and none of those niceties will have any weight in the face of that glaring reality. I'm I'm not trying to be morbid here. This is the reality that we live in and so I just want to kind of uh, give space and justify this hunger that in fact... uh, We ought to be dissatisfied if all we have is pleasantries. We ought to be dissatisfied. And let me just tell you, uh, you are made with a hunger to taste glory. The problem is that most of us try and taste our own glory. We try and have that glory be our own. What I want to say this morning is that it's the glory of Christ. It's Christ's glory given to you by the Spirit that you are made to be filled with. A taste to feast on. So I have uh, five points this morning, two of which are explanation and three of which are uh, application. And I'll try and go through them quickly. Uh, I do have my eye on the clock, so I, hopefully I don't bore you. Uh, five points in all. Uh, so there are two points of explanation to start. I just want to talk about the story of humanity and the story of the church. This is how Paul instructs us this morning. He says, uh, listen, here is the story of humanity apart from God and here is God's answer. And it's the church, surprisingly. So let's read verses 11 and 12 for the story of humanity. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world." Uh, Paul tells us in this passage, uh, the story of humanity, where it has been, where it's going. Uh, you know, this is really uh, the story in which we find ourselves, right? Uh, we're kind of born into the middle of the grand story of what God has been doing with humanity. But coming into the middle, uh, all we're acquainted with is uh, the plight of humanity, the problems, right? So we're going to get to uh, the, the bookends, but first I just want to start with, well, what is it actually like? Uh, to be a human? What's it like to be a person without God and without hope in the world? Brothers and sisters, just listen to these words and ask yourself if the Lord doesn't know uh, what it's like to be you. If the Lord doesn't know you. If the Lord doesn't know the plight that you face. Here's Here's the things that Paul says about us apart from Christ. He says we are estranged and alienated. Strangers without hope, without God, Far off, excluded by a dividing wall of hostility, at enmity, that is, constantly in battle, fighting. We are foreigners, foreigners. Uh, My wife and I love to watch The Amazing Race. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that show. It's a good one. All right, got some hands. All right, that's I like to see. We love watching that as a family, um, which is always fun. But this last one, there was a deaf guy and his mom who were this team. They have this, the story of the show is it's a reality TV show and they have to go and travel and have all these little, ob, it's like a global obstacle course, basically, okay? Uh, but they go to different countries and there's this deaf guy uh, who was on the show this last time And uh, he and his mom were one team, and there was a few other teams, and they all ended up in China. Well, one of the other teams, they spoke Mandarin. And so they were in China and just navigating flawlessly and speaking to people, and they nailed all the obstacles right away. This deaf guy's comment was, I wish that there was a deaf country in the world. (laughs) Whereas I could sign to people, and we could all just communicate in our secret language, and everyone else would be left to figure out and uh, have to kind of do mimic Well, I think uh, that feeling of being totally on the outside uh, is something that actually all of us can relate to. Uh, You felt this if you've gone to another country and uh, their language is totally opaque. You can't understand it. You can't get through it. Uh, Their customs, their thoughts, even uh, maybe their favorite food or activities, all of it is impossible to understand. You've been there, I'm sure. Uh, The reality is is that uh, this is what the Lord says about us as a result of our sin. It's kind of a strange thought that sin actually blinds us to the reality of the world. We're actually alienated not only from hope and God, but actually from the way things really are. Right? The world is opaque to us. We don't really understand how it works as a result of our sin. Ephesians 4.18 says it's alienated us from God, and so as a result, we are alienated from each other, we're alienated uh, from the world at large. Uh, we're alienated from ourselves. You can see this, right? I mean, even in the best marriages, there, are, uh, there is rub and friction. Uh, there is a constant uh, desire to, to grow in intimacy because, really, uh, we're still getting to know each other. And even in most marriages, uh, we see this alienation. Most families, certainly. Certainly. Uh, Even alienation from the world. I mean, the fact that we are just now beginning to figure out the impact of our uh, practices on the environment, it's a big sign that we have not been alert uh, to how the world really works. Also, alienated from ourselves. Uh, We love to deny things about ourselves. I think the error that most of us make, the mistake that we make, uh, which you know, in verse 11, these Jews in the first century were making, uh, is that we think that uh, if we've gotten something uh, by our own strength, our own smarts, our heritage, uh, we think that if we can get something or do something, we can somehow uh, get inside, get on the inside, right? Uh, if we're alienated and left outside, we have the sense of exclusion from, Uh, God's blessings or the way things work, we think that if we're smart enough or we get a good enough job or whatever it is, we think that we can uh, somehow all of a sudden be made privy to all the blessings that are in the world have access to those things. The error is that uh, we can't really do anything to get on the inside uh, apart from Christ. You know, I think uh, probably behind every conspiracy theory, uh, there's the sense of missing out on something, right? Um, whether it's the Illuminati or some sort of uh, other conspiracy, there's a sense of being part of the people who are excluded and rejected, that if somehow we were able to catch this government or person or system, uh, we could kind of out them and uh, all of their evil deeds would be out in public and now all of a sudden we could get all of the good things that they've been keeping from us whether back taxes or whatever it is. Uh, We could expose them and finally enjoy the benefits. We could finally get in, become part of the in-circle. So part of that is uh, one of the responses to that what we do is uh, we imagine that there are these in-circles and that we are either on the outside of them or uh, that we have somehow become on the inside of them by setting up a number of definitions, right? And, you know, we all do it, right? Uh, You can list them off pretty easily. Uh, you have read these books or you only eat this kind of food or you like these kind of hobbies, whatever it is, you vote this way. We like to construct all these little circles uh, which make us feel as though we are finally in. And, and that actually is how we uh, try and find meaning for ourselves. Uh, we imagine ourselves to be at the helm of some sort of secret kingdom or endlessly and torturously excluded, right? You're either the king of the world or you are the scum. Uh, this is kind of how we tend to think. What I just want to say this morning is that the, the real true inner circle, the real inner circle in humanity, the people who actually get it, are the ones who are in Christ. It kind of feels weird to say, I realize. Uh, what I want to say is that the inner circle is Christ himself. Okay, He is the one uh, who actually is in the Father's favor. Father. He is the one who is at the helm of the kingdom, the secret kingdom. He is the one who is reigning. And yet what? His kingdom is in constant service to all of us. His kingdom is for the oppressed, for the excluded. And, you know, I just love uh, the members of this inner circle. Who are the members of this inner circle of Christ's kingdom? Well, they are the poor, along with the wealthy. They're uh, the white along with the Native American, the African American, the uneducated and the educated, male, female, uh, liberals and conservatives, however you make those words mean what they mean, uh, they are members, uh, not because they've done anything for themselves, but because Christ has done for them. Christ has reconciled them. Christ has bought them back. We're not members of God's blessing and of His People, because of any wisdom or nobility of our own. We are members of God's people because Jesus has snatched us out of the dead. He's brought us back from the dead. So what I just want to say is, uh, you know, the church is meant to be uh, this body of people who understand this. We are the people who are defined by one thing. Uh, we are in, but not because we did anything, but because Christ is in because Christ has come and found us, because we were what? Strangers. We were alienated. We are the society defined by one thing, being washed, filled with the Spirit, tasting the glory and kindness of the Father. You know, I think we tend to uh, think about the church uh, as kind of this uh, conspiracy, whether as Christians or non-Christians, we tend to think uh, that uh, somehow there's some sort of inner circle in the church who are really connected and they're the people who are really seen as important they're the people who are really valued by the church. Uh, I just want to say, uh, you know, nothing could be farther from the truth. Right? If we were to find some sort of inner circle here at Christ Church, it would most likely be uh, the leaders, people who are volunteering their time, sacrificing their time in their prayers, pouring out their hearts for the Lord, for the people, people who are volunteering every Sunday. And yet What? Is that any sort of elite status? (laughs) To be one of those who dies for the congregation? Uh, No, no. This circle exists for the good of others. In fact, the church is an open membership. Here is the motto of the church. Come and die with us. Come and die with us because Christ has given us his life. Come give your life away for Christ's glory and for the good of the church. So I just want to say, you know, uh, I think uh, some of us struggle in feeling connected with the church in feeling like we really have gotten uh, this sense of community, of belonging, and of being at one. Uh, And that's perfectly justifiable. There's certainly lots of reasons for that. But I just want to say, you know, uh, so long as we are looking to get into some sort of inner circle in the church, uh, we are missing the entire point. So long as you are looking for someone else to make you part of the inn, uh, they are never going to be able to do that. And you're never going to be able to stop blaming them. We need to look to Christ. We need to look to Christ. He is the one who unites us. He is the one who fills our emptiness. He is the one who gives us joy and real community. So that's the first point of explanation, that actually uh, we as a people are a rescued and bought people. That's our motto. We were strangers, and now we've been brought in. The second point of explanation is just this. Uh, if the story of humanity in which we find ourselves is that we are desperately lost and alienated from the entire world, and even ourselves, what's the bigger story that God is telling through the church? Right? We said we kind of came in in the middle of the story. What's the, what are the bookends? What is God actually doing? What are we here for? And this is in verses 13 through 16. But now in Christ, you who are once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By nullifying or abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. I just want to say this. Uh, this is the point this morning. What God is doing in the church, what God is doing in Christ, is he's making a new humanity. A new humanity. Okay? Even early church fathers used to call Christians a third race. They're neither Jew nor Gentile. We're a, a third thing. Now obviously that's a little bit of overstatement, but the point still carries. Uh, we are being made into a new humanity. Part of the question we have to ask then is, uh, well, what's humanity for in the first place? And, uh, you know, if you look back in uh, Genesis, Adam's whole job in the garden is to work and keep the garden, right? Uh, But what is the garden, really? Is it just a nice place to be? Well, certainly. Uh, It's full of fruit and full of good things and animals. But more than anything else, it's full of God's presence. The garden is God's house, Right? It's a sanctuary. God makes man to live in his home with him. And so Adam's job is to take this sanctuary and spread it out to the ends of the earth. So when we think of filling and subduing the earth as Adam's mission, we're only getting half the picture. The other half of the picture is filling the earth with God's glory, with his kindness, with his blessings, with his presence. And we do that as image bearers. And so what Christ is doing with us, since we have uh, become alienated from the Father, how can we, by any means, extend his glory, expand his kingdom? How can anyone taste the spirit if we're alienated from him? What Christ is doing is he is reconciling us back to the Father so that we can be restored to our original mission. So that we can be back on track. Okay, and you see this uh, all over this passage. Verses 14 and 15, we are justified from our lawbreaking. In verse 16, we are reconciled to God by Christ dying on the cross. We are reconciled even to each other. Right? What's characterized in human history is wars and conflict. And now in the church, you have uh, people who are from every nation, people who once uh, killed each other, now at one in Christ. But more than that, look at verse 18. This is really important. We are restored to our original tasks as priests. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That word access is crucial. Access. You get to walk into the throne room of God. You are a priest if you are in Christ. Because Christ has washed you. You are made a priest. You can walk into the very living room of God, as it were. That's the temple, right? It's God's house. The Holy of Holies is God's most private room. Being a priest means you get to walk in there. So uh, how does this happen? How are we made new in Christ? Uh, I just want to touch this briefly, uh, but it is important. If in Adam we were alienated from God, uh, Christ was alienated for us. If in Adam we were uh, without God and breaking his law and impure, in Christ we have been made pure because Christ was treated as a lawbreaker. Christ was treated as an idolater. We were once enemies and rebels, and yet Christ, what, was treated as an enemy on the cross so that through his resurrection we could be made new. So if you're here this morning, uh, maybe just visiting for the first time, Uh, Let me just say this to you. If you would put your faith in Christ, He will take on all your alienation, all of your hopelessness, all of your emptiness, your estrangement from God and from others and from His people. Uh, If you put your faith in Christ, uh, there is tremendous hope that, in fact, you can have access to the very God of the universe. Uh, You can actually taste real glory. And in fact, if you're here this morning, it's very likely that the Lord has already begun this work in you already. So the bigger question this morning is, what are we brought near for, okay? So we've kind of, I've kind of laid all this groundwork in terms of, well, we were alienated, and now in Christ we've been brought near, and we were rebels, and now we've been reconciled, and now we're priests to God, and we've been restored. But what? What for? Right? Why? Why are we brought near? Why are we made into priests? And this gets back to this question of Pentecost. If you look in verses 19 and 20 uh, through 22, uh, it makes it clear that we through the Spirit are being made into a temple, a household for God. okay the church is the temple of God. Now I think for most of us we get confused when I say church. we all of a sudden all of, we think about this, right? The building and the rafters and the, the aesthetics and, and the structure. Actually, the word church just means gathering, the assembly. We, as the assembly of God's people, are being made into the temple of God. Look at verse uh, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, that's all of us, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place. That is to say, a home. We're being made into a home by God, the Spirit. For God, by the Spirit. So when it comes to Pentecost, what we're celebrating is the fact that God is accomplishing his mission. That God uh, not only has saved us on the cross, but in fact, He has sent His Spirit to now take this haggard group of people and join us into a glorious home for God. Okay? So, the main role of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures is uh, to make us into God's people. But the question is what is a temple for, right? Uh, And I think most of us have this intuitive sense. Temple is a place for God's Spirit to dwell for God's special presence for him to give himself. Right? Just like your home is the special place for you to dwell. And when you invite people into your home, what are you doing? You're inviting them into the inner life of your family. That is what has happened in Christ. You are being invited into the inner life of God's family. See, by the Spirit we have become portable temples. Right? In the Old Testament there was one physical temple and Uh, God's people constantly had to go to it. But now, the Spirit actually dwells in you, in your body. In your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And now, what's happening? God is spreading His Spirit, His very presence, out to every nook and cranny and even dark corners of the world. Can you imagine that? A whole world alienated and dark and lost Avoiding God, and now His very Spirit is going out and pervading every crack, every corner of the whole creation with His grace and with His glory. Just think on that for a second. This is what it means to be the church. We are together a portable temple, we're a temple on wheels, okay? We are a temple that moves all around. You know, and just as an aside, if you think uh, you know, the church is kind of a necessary evil for being with Christ, uh, you're only half right. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, the reality is that uh, Paul is convinced that the church is the primary means that God is going to work in the world, right? Uh, this is, this is uh, God's answer for the world. So the church's mission is to be the temple throughout time and throughout the world, uh, to be God's presence and God's spirit in every corner. We can do this because we have God's spirit with us. Because if we have been baptized, he has put his spirit on us. All right? So how does this happen? Well, first of all, it happens in our corporate life together, right? Uh, We just had a woman who came to faith uh, this last spring, and her testimony was, uh, this family uh, loved on me in a way that I'd never seen before, I'd never tasted before. They were busy, and yet they had this abundance about them. They had this, life about them they had this warmth about them that i just never tasted before and they welcomed me into their home and they they cared for me and i just thought these people are amazing until i realized and you know i think pastor nate told her listen it's not them they're great yeah we love them it's christ in them okay it's christ in them and that's not you know when i used to hear that i used to think oh that's nice like that's a very sentimental thought some sort of mystical, you know, sweet flowers around Christ in you. We're all happy and Jesus is here somehow. No, the reality is there's an, actual, there's an actual fact of the matter that the Spirit actually lives in your body. You ever think about that? That actually God is actually working through you, that the Christ intends to show his love through you by his Spirit. So the other thing is that uh, this happens, this, the church fulfills its mission by showing hospitality to strangers, right? We are one of those who were not invited. We were welcomed into the table. We were the strangers. And the more that we wear that motto as once alienated, once strangers, once without hope and without God in the world, uh, the more ready we're going to be to welcome people into this inner life of the Spirit. Do you know what I mean? This is what you're made to do. Okay? First of all, you are made to worship God. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and, come on people, enjoy Him forever. That is worship. Our job, your job as the church is to delight in God. It's nice. It's good. It's a good job. Your job is to delight in God to such an extent uh, that it overflows in your life. So, Three points of application, and I'll I'll, I'll try and fly through these quickly. First of all, uh, Christ is ours through the Spirit. Okay? This is the glory of the Gospel. If we were once alienated, and now we've been joined together with His people to be filled with the Spirit, guess who our inheritance is now as priests? The Lord. The Lord is your portion. You as a son of God, have an inheritance. That inheritance is the Spirit. You have been given the Spirit. Jesus has not only uh, forgiven you, He's also made you right before God and filled you with His Spirit. I think some of us tend to think of forgiveness as kind of this word against us, right? I'm someone who's forgiven and I don't really have any sort of use or value in the kingdom of God and I'm forever Destined to kind of walk with my tail tucked between my legs. Uh, that often is how we construe forgiveness, as if we're just supposed to be sad all the time. Uh, but really, uh, this is the, this is the gospel that we have been given: God's righteousness. Not only forgiven and brought back to zero, we're we're actually pleasing in His sight. We're given God's righteous Christ's righteousness, so that God actually delights in us. And now, as we worship and we pray and we act out his kindness to us, it's actually enjoyable to him. That's why we can say, God actually likes you in Christ. That's what justification means. You are pleasing to God. And so much so, that he has decided to live in you. I mean, praise the Lord. God God likes you enough to put his whole spirit in you. That is what we have in the gospel. This is the bright, Radiant center of God's glory in the gospel that Christ lives in us, the hope of glory. And that is what you are here for. You are here, you are alive. Kids, you are alive to know and to cherish God. You are alive to be filled with God's glory. That's your job. This gives us two things. It motivates us for real holiness. It gives us a real motivation for holiness. And it also it gives us deeper joy and service to the Lord. I just want to say, you know, uh, when it comes to the Lord putting his name on us and dwelling in us, uh, there's real motivation to not drag his name through the mud, right? It's not simply because we're guilty, right? Oh, I don't want to do that to him. He's been really nice to me. No, it's, uh, we don't want to bash the Lord's name because of his profound mercy to us. Does it make sense to you guys? Uh, I think of uh, one day when my son, he was about three, he came up with a a drawing to this older boy he loved and looked up to, thought he was so cool, and he gave it to him and said, I made this for you. And the kid took it and was like, oh, thanks. I'm not really into that anymore, and dropped it. Now my son, being young enough, didn't really register with him. I felt really hurt, (laughs) right? How dare you stub my kid's love like this? Don't you see how tender, how sweet his love has been towards you? How, how dare you be so bratty? Well, that's, that's actually what our sin is. That's what it is to sin against the Lord. Uh, the Lord has given us himself. Why would we be so bratty as to trample his spirit in us, to trample the blood that's been shed for us? And do you see how that's not about guilt? That's not about how dare you, okay? It's not about guilt. It's about desiring to taste that mercy and that goodness even more. And that's the last thing I'm going to say. If Christ is actually in us, if the Spirit is actually in us, if you are a portable temple for God's glory to go out into every corner and nook and cranny of the world, then we have all the reason in the world to dedicate ourselves to holiness and to service because that actually is going to bring us greater joy. It's going to bring us greater joy because we're finally living as we were supposed to be, right? There's actually this is, this is how we're meant to live. But it's also going to bring us greater joy because uh, when we give ourselves to the Lord, we taste his glory even more. I mean, kids, how many of you guys like ice cream? And people, you can, adults, you can answer this too, please. We all love ice cream. How many of you like to eat ice cream with a dirty spoon? Put your hands up. You're still going to get the ice cream, right? Yeah. But you're going to get some crusties, right? (laughs) You're going to get some surprises along the way. It's going to be mixed with a little bit of sourness, a little bit of funkiness, a little bit of rottenness. That's not good. That's all I'm saying. If Christ lives in us, we can taste more and more and more of God's kindness and the beauty of his glory and his grace if, in fact, we set ourselves aside to his holiness and his service. That's what that means. Greater depth of joy in the Lord. What the Lord is calling you to this morning is a purer and deeper enjoyment of him. A purer and deeper enjoyment of him. This is John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Brothers and sisters, delight, this, delight yourself this morning in the Lord who has brought you near. He is your portion both in this life and in the life to come. Let's pray. Lord, we offer ourselves to you now. Not because we've contributed anything. Not because we've managed somehow by our wisdom, our smarts to get in. But because you've bought us back from the dead. We were strangers. Totally alienated from your kindness. And yet you've rescued us. We pray that we would delight ourselves in your spirit, in your presence, in your glory, that we would be a people marked by the sweet and tender joy of your spirit living in us. Lord, I confess my own need for this, how hungry we all are for your spirit. Help us, Lord, help us especially make us hungry for your presence and your glory. We pray that you would encourage us and balm us and give us strength in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.